0: Hey, guess what, folks? What's that, Alex? Just swap Berlin is right around the corner, and we have a deal for you: fifteen percent off if you use the promo code Equity. Now, a ticket gets you access to the amazing content we have in store on stage. Investors and founders, including Daniel Ramat, Sonali De Riker, Aileen Sarah, and Jamie Burke, will grace the stage in just a few of the many exciting panels that will cover the startup landscape in Europe and beyond. You'll also be able to watch our premier startup competition, Startup Battlefield, visit Startup Alley, and attend our Q&A sessions, which are more intimate panel discussions with subject matter experts. Exciting, right? Very exciting. Disrupt Berlin runs November 29th and 30th. So get to TechCrunch.com slash disruptberlin and use the promo code equity at checkout for 15% off. We'll see you there. If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome to Equity, where we look at the numbers behind the stories. I am Alex Wilhelm, the editor-in-chief of CrunchBase News. And today we have Connie Loises of TechCrunch. Hey, Alex. And we also have Danny, who is in snowy New York. Aloha. And uh, critically, our guest this week is Matt Howard of Norwest Venture Partners, where he is a partner. Thank you for coming along. My pleasure. And you will have to be one of the most optimistic guests we've ever had in the studio. <laughs> as we sorted out a very small mic issue. What a trooper. So thank you for, uh, for pleasure. your patience. All right. So this, uh, there's kind of three big things this week that I want us to get through. The first one is... I feel like the, the most public private company that we have in terms of disclosures, and that's Uber, who has now dropped its Q3 numbers. So, Mr. Crichton, what is the, uh, the hot ticket?
1: Yeah. So this is the first uh, results from uh, Uber's fr- uh, new CFO, Nelson Chai, who was formerly the CFO at uh, Merrill Lynch. Uh, the numbers are uh, complicated. So uh, th- at the top of the funnel, uh, bookings for Uber was up 6% quarter over qu- quarter to $12.7 billion. And that's up 34% year over year. And um, Revenue followed the same way. It was 2.95 in in revenue, Uh, but the key was around the net income. Uh, Uber sustained a loss of $939 million this quarter, which is actually up 32% 32% quarter over quarter, and the company gave guidance and said that they would continue to sort of see that kind of level of profitability uh, going forward. And so it's a really kind of complicated story. What's also interesting is that Uber um, also gave bookings for Eats, its food delivery service, um, and announced that it was $2.1 billion for the quarter, up 150%. One five zero percent year over year, um, so it's a kind of a mixed bag, I think, for for Uber this quarter.
0: All right, I want to grab the two most important things: growth is decelerating while losses are actually picking back up again. That to me spells a kind of rough picture.
2: I know, I I saw it different ways. I saw the lines converging. I saw that even though revenue is slowing down, I mean that's natural when you're a company that size. Um, that's a natural seat. But I'm seeing the EBITDA line. Starting to merge and starting to reduce. And I saw the EBITDA improve faster uh, year over year. Uh, sure, the bookings or the revenue started to slow down, but I also thought the fact that they're willing to talk about Uber Eats. Usually companies don't like to debundle and talk about the individual. You know, parts. The fact they're willing to talk about Uber Eats shows confidence. We saw the same thing with Microsoft when they broke out cloud services. So I looked at it as a glass half full, and they're getting ready to show Wall Street that they can demonstrate operating leverage. And the last point is, I think they're starting to show their platform play that they do Uber Eats, they're going to do freight, they're going to do other things, your bikes and scooters. So I thought it was pretty impressive.
0: All right. Let me push back on that just a little bit because I feel like the 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 platform play has been the argument for why Uber loses money for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Back when I was working at TC, uh, I would get in arguments about this. People say, look, they, they have this delivery system. They can do <clears throat> anything with it. They're going to do small packages and take Amazon on, do mm-hmm. all this. They've really only done Uber Eats that's been at scale so far. So how much longer should we wait for this platform play to mature? And then also, secondly... You're looking at EBITDA as opposed to net income. I'm a bit more of a pessimist than you. That to me seems a little bit generous to a company this old, this mature, and also that has raised this much capital. I mean, same
2: thing was said at Spotify, and uh, I mean, I think they're starting to show operating leverage. Um, clearly, they they the new CFO uh, brought a lot of discipline. I think they got out of Russia and a few other places. They're starting to trim things. And look, we all know the uh, the challenges of being a public company. The fact now. They've been exercising, trying to get in shape, and they're going to be ready for a public offering.
3: Matt, can I ask, what do you think of the public offering talk of the company at 120 billion, which is roughly twice what its uh, investors last assigned it at its last private um, fundraise?
2: Yeah, that is. Uh, I'm not sure I have a lot to comment on that. <laughs> You're but, not that optimistic. But, but I, well, I, you know, it's hard to say how Wall Street values things. I mean, it's a unique asset. I would say that you know companies like. Apple and Amazon, a few other companies, they're they're like nation states. These aren't companies, these are countries. Uber is one of these types of companies that could potentially become a nation state company and a lot depends upon if they can show the numbers converging um, big time and the platform play. Two billion dollars, Uber Eats. I mean, that's that's not chopped liver. That's
3: those no. Pretty and big only numbers. half of it came from my SF burrito habit, so I'm pretty proud of myself <laughs> for that. But it does seem to be taking, having trouble taking over the world. Obviously, it's backed out of a lot of markets, so I'm not sure if it's that's true. How analogous it is to you know Apple well, in the... Of
2: course, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's going to take some time, but uh, they are. Yeah, uh, one a company
0: that happens once every ten, fifteen, twenty years—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's theirs to lose. Danny, what do you think about these lines converging? You've worked as a VC. What do you—what do you see in those numbers?
1: Uh, I, I, I balance between you, Alex. I mean, to, qu- quite frankly, this is not a, an old company, right? Uh, I'm sorry, it's not a new company. It's been around a loyal. It's trying to go IPO in the next couple of months, early in 2019. Um, it's still sustaining an even a loss of five hundred twenty-five, uh, five hundred twenty-seven million dollars this quarter. Um, I, I, I agree, uh, that there, it is something of a nation state, but, you know, when you look at the competition that they're facing in the scooter market, which has the potential to wipe this out from autonomous vehicles, from Google, you know, this is not Apple, right? I don't think Uber has the brand equity. Um, I don't think it has the network effect as much, um, and it has real competition. So I, I think it's a real mixed bag and it'll be interesting to see if they can go out next year.
0: I I think they can go out. I think there'll still be enough market enthusiasm for growth tech-oriented shares, as we're going to talk about in our next topic, to let them go out. The question is, at what price?
2: But I, I also, as a, as an investor, I don't really care what the post-money valuation is. I never get hung up on that. I think the market will speak. And if the company can, and I agree, you know, th- th- they're years away from becoming an Apple, but if they yes. can demonstrate the financial performance, look look at um, Google. It was not a very good IPO. They went out there. They did. They did a Dutch auction. Was mm-hmm. not very successful. Well, they they but, did
3: a du- 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 Dutch auction not because they couldn't do a traditional IPO, but they wanted to do a Dutch auction. basically
2: Yeah, I mean, we did that. We were investors in RackSpace. I mean, that that is a whole thing about the green shoe and the bump, and there's a lot of psychology, and yes. people have been trying to figure out ways not, uh, to to keep that value creation. But you know, even uh, Facebook, I think uh, the, the question, the point I'm trying to make is. If they can get in the public offering and they can delight the public market, that can be some impressive appreciation in the public market.
0: I want so this is actually something I said on the show before and I, I hate to repeat myself but those are good examples of companies that went public struggled post IPO and then did very well efforts with Google and yeah. Facebook. The difference is they were massively profitable when they went public. Facebook had a billion dollars right. in trailing net income. This is negative 527 just EBITDA. So it's That's a very right. adjusted metric. That's my concern and I'm I'm worried that Uber has reached what we would have called scale 3 years ago for its size and it's still unable to get Re- reasonable point yeah, that, that's, that's my concern. But at the same time, though, I haven't built a company worth more than $8, so I don't <laughs> want to sound too negative. But to I me, I'm, think, I am surprised.
3: I do think either way, you know, um, the CEO uh, appeared at a Wall Street Journal event earlier this week, and he said very explicitly again, 2019 is the objective. And he sort of suggested that part of the reason why, atop everything else, is it's... Um, investor base you know they were asked very explicitly about this story that we've talked about in recent weeks. Um, it's you know one of its biggest investors. It's taken 3.5 billion dollars from Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Um, he was asked point blank what does that mean? this sort of you know story with the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah. He said you know we're anxious for more information but you know frankly, I don't think we're going to get much more information that we've already been given. Um, Uber can't give it back. They can't afford it. They can't it give it back, but they can go public and they can you know, get a completely new investor base through that process.
0: If they misprice the IPO and Uber suffers in the first couple of weeks past its offering, I'll be disappointed. I think there's going to be a price where this makes a lot of sense. I think there's going to be a price where it has a good pop to it that makes everyone happy. I'm just curious if their bankers will help them land at the right price point because I'm con- I'm concerned. With what we've heard about what bankers are telling um, Palantir and what it might be worth, which it isn't. Uh, that they'll get overhyped and make a mistake and have more of a catastrophe as opposed to a good day. I mean, we have, we have amazing
2: uh, capital markets. I mean, if you think about the ballet that takes place with underwriters and auditors and SEC and stuff like that, I mean, they'll have to execute. They'll have a, you know, we'll see what happens after two, three quarters as a public company. Yeah, a lot uh, of pressure.
0: I want to just grab a couple of other EBITDA numbers before we let Uber go. So, looking backwards in time, their uh, their EBITDA in Q two of this year was negative six fourteen. So they were in fact uh, less unprofitable on an EBITDA basis in Q three. To your point, point. Uh, and they actually only lost three hundred and twelve million on on an EBITDA basis in Q one. So this number is kind of in between their Q one and Q two numbers, and I think we'll just have to let the market handicap and decide um, if that's good enough. Well, I'm fascinated
2: if they when they get in the autonomous cars like how are they going to they're in a capital light company so the big question for me is as an investor is how are they going to what, what, how are they going to – you know? are they going to all of a sudden get into the capital business and these cars? Are they going to lease it or are they going to use GM? It's it's fascinating to see what's going to happen down the road.
0: There's enough moving parts and enough partnerships, <coughs> shared investors and capital yeah. shifting back and forth between uh, ride-sharing companies, autonomous driving companies, and major uh, automobile companies that something great is going to come out of this. And I'm going to use it. But I don't know who it's going to be. And, and who's going <laughs> to wash, wash the cars? I want to know who's going to wash uh, the cars. I mean, you know, I'm a journalist. So probably me in the end. Uh, industry is going okay but let's <laughs> let's let our poor listeners uh hear about something else for a minute um hey everyone don't forget this episode is brought to you by shares post over this weekend if you were living under a rock you may have missed uh one of the most fascinating if not as popular deals that i've seen at least this year and that was qualtrics and qualtrics was sold for eight billion dollars right before it went public it was but to- counting uh, well, the CEOs, <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute that I talked to you after this, were amped. Um, but they were going to go public today. So today would have been the day they started to trade. It's, it's Thursday right now. It's Friday when you hear this. But it was going to be an IPO that I was looking forward to a lot. And a tech anecdote, if I may. I interviewed the CEO of Qualtrics, uh, Ryan Smith, on stage for Disrupt back when no one knew what Qualtrics was, including me. And I got assigned this interview, and I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I don't even know. What is this? What's Utah anyways? And they were just super fun guys. And uh, I had that in my pocket and kind of forgot about it. And then they filed to go public, and I was like, great, context. I've got it. Anyways, um, Danny, when this dropped, were you shocked they pulled the app Dynamics lever, or were you expecting them to go public?
1: You know, uh, for VC is one of the easiest ways to sort of get a buying process, you know, frenzy underway is to just go public, right? You put the S1 out, every single corporate development office reads those numbers. They can look at it for themselves and it forces a timeline to actually get a decision uh, reasonably. So uh, it's entirely possible, uh, although not likely, that Sa- uh, SAP you know, reached out as they saw the S1 and was like, hey, we really want to talk and get something done before you go public. Uh, I was more impressed it was all cash. I mean, yeah. eight billion in all cash, even for SAP, is it, it, that's a heavy lift.
2: They did. I don't think they used the cash or the balance sheet. I think I saw an article, made, uh, where they went out and and got some debt. That's for right. That. Yes, so they, they took out. To go, I think six and, and a half borrowed, billion. Yeah,
0: they borrowed the money to go buy the Utah and the corn. Shows you interest is cheap. Money is cheap. M- money is still cheap. Well, it's getting less cheap, but mm-hmm. it's still historically. Yeah. Very affordable. Um, But the thing that caught my eye about this is this is another company like AppDynamics that was bought last year before its IPO by Cisco, I think, um, that had... Thank you. I was just super terrified. I just lied on the show. Um, (laughs) That had... January
1: 2017.
0: Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, That had super clean numbers. If you look through the AppDynamics S1 and the Qualtrics S1 and then the later on S1As, what you see is a company that's capital efficient, that's growing very healthily, that has a lot of recurring revenue, and just looks good, you know?
2: Well, I mean, the way I look at it is, you're probably we, we this trend of buying companies at the one yard line is back. I mean, we haven't seen it as venture capitalists for a while. This is something that we see now in the last X number of months, right? Yeah. And that that game book, you know, wasn't working for like five years ago. We saw it in in two thousand two thousand and one. Back when things were things hot. Were hot. But I think when you look at like SAP finding a growth vector is getting harder and harder. And when you, I mean, they're constantly buying small companies, but when you buy a company at this scale, it's gone through a lot of scrutiny. So they could justify to their shareholders by buying a company at a premium, Mm -hmm. but at least you know, it's been vetted by, you know, to take an enterprise company public, it's not like an Uber type of thing. You have to have your act together. And clearly they, as you noted on their financial performance, so they can justify paying a premium because they paid for, it was less risk. And I'm sure there were great handcuffs on the employees.
3: Hey, Matt, can I ask you a question? So Qualtrics filed for its IPO, um, I think, what, within the last three weeks? Does that sound right? It was, oh gosh, late October. I'm sure it was a con-
2: confidential uh, filing and You think before. it was filed confidential. Well, I, I, just assume, I assume that's what everybody's doing these days.
3: Right, right, right. I just wondered, you know, it sounds like they were talking with SAP for several months. What's the advantage of going ahead? Uh, does that sort of pressure SAP? Is that safe to say to make a... Decision. It's sort of you know crunch time. Make the decision by us, <laughs> or we're well,
2: going public. I, well, I think there's a window of time. A lot of times when you buy a company that's private at a premium, sometimes the public market will say they don't have insight into numbers. There's been non-disclosures have been signed. You go into the company, you have no idea the financial performance, and a lot of times you get punished. People mm-hmm. say, "WTF? What are you guys doing?" And so now by going after a company that's gone through this uh, amazing ballet taking a company public mm-hmm. is jaw it's it's, it's 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 amazing to what it takes to get a company public the underwriters all kinds of things at the up. so there's a window of opportunity now when they take the cover off so i assume it was a confidential s1 mm-hmm. then it becomes non-confidential which it has to be and at that point there's a window to look at all the numbers and all the disclaimers and all the asterisks and all that kind of... So I think uh, there was a window where they had to move. And for SAP, which is an a, a extremely well-managed company uh, that has a proven track record of buying companies and integrating them, uh, there was a window.
0: So on the SAP point, I I got to talk to the CEO of Qualtrics and SAP on Monday morning, I think it was. Uh-huh. And I... I've been on calls before with people who had sold their business or just gone public, and they're always pretty amped. You know, it's a great day for them. It's an exit. They've been working so hard for this. Let them have the day. Don't dig them for their enthusiasm. I've actually never been on a call with two more amped up humans in my life. Like, <laughs> it was it was shockingly enthusiastic. And like, again, I'm not being sarcastic. With me. I mean, honestly, you could feel that they really were hyped. And they, they were so excited. They made a long explanation of the difference between O data and X data, experience data versus operating data and how they fit together, interesting. They made that interesting. That is impressive to me. So I, I think but, it's but cool But think to of see. the trickle-down
2: the trickle effect. How many more homes are going to be bought? I mean, it's going to be great for the economy.
0: Oh, it's going to make Utah into a <laughs> little, little less, uh, <laughs> Yes,
3: yes. Lots of uh, money made on this deal. Ryan Smith and his brother Jared are now billionaires. The VCs who came in you know, 10 years after the company started, Excel, Insight Venture Partner Sequoia, we're all listed as major shareholders on the company's um, IPO filing. So lots of, lots of money made. I have to say, though, to your point, Alex, about them being amped, they were so amped that um, they sort of poked at um, uh, Mark Benioff of Salesforce. They yes, were talking they to Forbes, and they said, uh, the, uh, the SCP CEO sort of made a, a thinly veiled challenge saying that Mark Benioff, the, quote, one of the traditional players in the space ordered too big a building. Uh, yes, of course, he's they- he talking about the Salesforce Tower, which is a thousand foot tall skyscraper that is now San Francisco's biggest and sort of, uh, I, I think, to be honest, a little bit spoils the skyline. But um, anyway, you know, you don't want to sort of I just thought it was sort of interesting that they were, you know, immediately kind of, you know, um, Promoting their own um, sort of, you know, combination of cu- customer insights as potentially a threat to Salesforce. I don't know if that's really um, the case.
0: Yeah, well, I, they told me the same anecdote. So apparently, I was getting the, the canned version of the enthusiasm. <laughs> is that right? Now, now I'm very cross. <laughs> that, that, um, that is really that's wrong.
1: But look, look, look at this way. How, how many floors do they need in a building in Utah to be the tallest in the state? Seven. <laughs> Here you go.
0: No, I mean, like, okay. So let's not talk crap about. Utah, because I just I just had dinner last night with uh, with Podium, uh, which is another company out of Utah that raised sixty million in uh, June from IVP, and uh, they just shared their their revenue growth numbers. This is a little bit off topic, but they went from thirteen million ARR their Series A to thirty million at the end of seventeen. They're shooting for sixty million ARR by the end of this year and a hundred next year. So. I can't make fun of Utah anymore. It's not just Domo land, you know, like there's a lot of things out there. and Our guest is currently laughing skiing, Yeah, great skiing. And uh, apparently everything's cheap and you can drive. So it's not, (laughs) it's very smoggy in SF today. There's a lot of appeal to not being here. So I think Utah is having a good week and we should let them have it. All right. uh, But before we take off, there's one more thing we need to dig into, which is WeWork, uh, which apparently is going to be on the show until we die. Um, they keep doing as, a, so- as a soft a SoftBank. SoftBank, exactly. Yeah. So, Connie, Connie <laughs> can you give us the, the thumbnail version of what's going on?
3: Yes. So, again, SoftBank. Um, now, this there there have been talks for quite a while that SoftBank, which is already a huge investor in WeWork, uh, was going to give it some more money, and it appears that that's happened. Uh, WeWork signed a three billion dollar warrant with the company. Uh, this is SoftBank. This is not its Vision Fund. Uh, SoftBank agreed to pay three billion dollars uh, for the opportunity to buy shares. Before September of next year at a price of $110 um, or higher, depending on whether WeWork goes public, is acquired, or raises a billion-dollar round before that date. The big sort of headline on this is that the deal ostensibly values WeWork, which everybody already thought was very richly valued at $20 billion, it bumps its valuation to $42 billion, according to the company. Uh, so people who are already scratching their heads and wondering why this company is worth so much more than its peers uh, that are valued at you know around $3 billion um, could pull this off. I mean, it's it's a little bit mind-blowing. Matt, do you have any thoughts about this deal?
2: Well, I, the fascinating thing to me was it was structured as a warrant. And a warrant is one of those things where I think is a tool which is greed versus fear. And so the fact is that... that um, I'm assuming, obviously, I don't have, I, I, haven't seen the numbers. I'm not inside the cap table. Is that, um, that probably SoftBank is very interested in this company, obviously, mm-hmm. and WeWorks also uh, has a high expectation, and they probably couldn't agree upon evaluation. So basically, there's a warrant, which is basically like an option, not necessarily a requirement. Says, okay, let's look a little bit longer. We're going to demonstrate to you that we've got a business that has some some leverage and other goodies inside of it, and they'll have an expiration period. So the, it was fascinating to me, What I think the real story here, in my opinion, was the fact it was structured as a warrant. And uh, that's very interesting to me. I don't see that very often.
0: Making this simpler for people out there who are less into the financial weeds, is it, is it more, more bullish or more bearish for WeWork itself? Or is it just a distribution of greed between the two different ways Well, I, I
2: was being facetious, obviously. Ah. it Basically, I, I assume the mechanics was somebody got in the room, there was an interest, and they couldn't agree upon a price. Ah, okay. And and that basically is to say, well, let me show you a couple, you know, X number of months. Let me show you what happens. And, uh, and you know, uh, I think the government, for, I mean, warrants are just really an interesting tool. Yeah. So, oh, Connie, please go for it.
3: No, no. I, I mean, what I think is so interesting about this company is all the sort of, you know, analogies you can make with Uber. You know, both of these companies have global ambitions, although I think WeWork's sort of global strategy is playing out more effectively. But there's so much to come on the horizon. You know, um, it's a platform. It's not just a company that's leasing offices and fixing them up and renting them out at a higher rate, although that's obviously mostly what it does. But now it's got this social network meetup that it acquired. It's got this uh, coding training, training, flat iron school. They're building a kindergarten. I mean, you know, I think that the thought with both companies is- Building a kindergarten? Yes. His wife is sort of uh, promoting this uh, new school uh, where tuition is going to be $36,000 a year, by the way, although that's probably for New Yorkers um, sort of standard. But um, I there's mean, you know, kinder- the point is there's so much to come. I mean, there's so much like promise built into this these valuations. Uh,
0: especially when you're currently negative, o- over <laughs> negative 100% on a net margin basis. I mean, like right. they had 482 million in revenue in Q3. Uh, up from 241 a year ago, so you know points them for doubling in a year, but they also lost 497 million in Q3. So they're still losing a dollar for every dollar they bring in revenue, which is pretty impressive in terms of capital inefficiency. Um, and Qualtrics is the opposite story. Right. So that that and they got snapped up really good. So you said if they're not public bought or whatever, who's going to buy them at 42 billion dollars? I I don't see an exit other than an IPO that's not at a massive down number. So I guess they have one. That's a kind great of question.
1: I think there are two – well, on that part, I think the the piece that South Bank sees that we don't get to see is the the per kind of office values, right? So, you know, in an established office in year two in downtown New York – uh, what are those sort of microeconomics of that facility, right? So when we see these aggregate numbers, yes, they're losing a dollar per revenue, but you know if that's going 80% to capital growth to get new leases and they're making $3 for every dollar on the leases from last year, then the business looks really good. So we, we don't get to see those numbers publicly. So it's, to me, it's really hard to judge what's going on. The other thing that I think is really interesting given that it's warrants is how much the media has sort of said, you know, WeWork is getting another 3 billion bucks. And, and my understanding is, is that, you know, if they don't hit sort of their targets or SoftBank sort of says we don't want to use the option, it's it's not guaranteed funding. It's a war. Exactly. That's uh, the, you're right. But it's every like headline, option. I am looking at it on Google. It's like, you know, Reuters, We Work gets three billion in new funding from SoftBank. It's like, well, they bought. Uh, they they have to actually put the money into the company at some
0: yeah. point. My my headline's wrong. I'm gonna fix it after the show. <laughs> so it's less wrong. By the time you hear this, my headline will be correct.
3: Well, you know, another thing, and we've talked about this in past episodes when we've talked about WeWork, is it's it's sort of um talking much more about its sales uh, to large enterprises. So apparently deals with company now make up 29% of its memberships versus 25% uh, at the end of the second quarter. And that is a kind of a big deal because for the individuals who rent from WeWork, I think they can rent on a month to month basis, which is super scary. I think Um, if you get locked into a multi-year deal with, you know, Microsoft or these big clients of its, it seems a little bit more, you know, bulletproof.
2: But just to be, you know, we're involved in a company called Notel, which Mm. is in the same market. But Mm. we focus exclusively on giving a headquarter-like experience to large companies. And it's interesting that WeWorks is now getting into that market. Yes. And uh, because I think they're finding out is that it's hard to build a lot of gross margin on the the low end of the market. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens.
3: So Notel, I've heard of K-N-O-T-E-L, which I think just raised around, didn't it?
2: Correct. Yes.
3: So what they're we, basically doing? We the need trying...
2: investor there. Oh, okay, there, great, great. So they're go. sort
3: of recreating certain a certain kind of experience. They're going into to companies and and kind of gussying up their office space.
2: Well, they go they go ahead and they'll they'll find real estate, but um, it's not a colo space. I mean, it's kind of I mean, if you have a company enterprise, do you want? people walking into your workspace how do you handle security uh, you're trying to recruit people a lot of uh, situations and and how do you brand it and so it's a higher level value added uh, kind of service so but it's similar in that we go after space and we mm-hmm. procure it and we structure it and uh, you know uh, uh, up level it but it's going to, it's giving you a headquarters like experience
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to each company
0: and it's raised hundred and sixty million so mm-hmm. far so yeah. it's doing pretty well yeah
3: and what's uh, that company's valuation?
0: That, I'm not sure, it was disclosed.
3: Oh, right.
0: You could, you could disclose it. I mean, theoretically. <laughs> that, that, is an, that is an option. All right. Well, we are a little short on time. And I just want to mention something before we all go, which is that uh, Reuters broke a story this week that may or may not be true. We don't know yet. We haven't confirmed it independently. But Instacart may be raising another quarter billion dollars, or actually $271 million. Um, which would be Instagram's, I think, third recent round, if I recall correctly. So the company that we all kind of giggled at after the uh, Amazon Whole Foods deal, and we all thought it was going to be, I think we even on this show joked about that. Uh, This is evidence that we may have been wrong all along. So I'm going to rub my own nose in it, and uh, (laughs) hopefully we'll have more on that next week. Uh, That's all the time we have today. So thank you all for coming by. Thank you for showing up. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. See you next week. Thanks, Matt. Bye, guys. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Connie Loizos, our producer Christopher Gates, our executive producer Henry Picavet, and we will see you all right here next week.